Hello and welcome to Alien Places, the show that shows you don't have to think like a human. I'm Atul Kumar. Hello, Earthlings, and uh, I'm an alien. Each episode, we ask our guests which three places they would show my alien friend here to give it a sense of the key issues facing human society. It's the only podcast we know of that's co-hosted by someone from another quadrant of the multiverse. So, how are you doing today, buddy? Uh, amusingly well today, thank you, Atul. I've been studying human humour and have a joke to tell you in honour of today's special guest. Great, I'm looking forward to hearing this alien. Go for it. Okay, here we go. Why do chimpanzees like bananas? Because they have a peel. Ah. <laughs> Very good alien. So, who is the alien tour guide for today's podcast episode? Oh, hooray, it's official guest introduction time. Dame Dr. Jane Goodall, DBE, is a primatologist, activist, and founder of the Jane Goodall Institute and her global youth program, Roots and Shoots. Her vast career took off at Bombay National Park in Tanzania in 1960, where she observed chimpanzees making and using tools. This research continues now and is now in its 62nd year at all and is the world's longest running continuous wildlife research project. Jane continues tirelessly to make a huge positive impact in the world and is a United Nations messenger of peace. Jane was given the title of COP26 advocate ahead of the meeting in Glasgow in November 2021 to help raise awareness of the need for global climate action. How was that at all? That was a very good introduction, thank you, Alien. And welcome Jane Goodall to Alien Places, or should I say... <laughs> Does that sound like a good chimp greeting to you? <laughs> Excellent. And uh, uh, Alien wants to have a go. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like a mixture of a dog and a cat gone wrong. <laughs> um, well, um, something that I ask all my guests on Nadine Places, is that your first experience of being introduced by a being from another universe? It is indeed. Great. And uh, did the alien get all the details right about your background there? I think perfect. Hmm? Yeah, great. Um, now, something that alien and the chimpanzees have in common is that both the chimps and the alien are beings other than humans that are sentient, have feelings, personalities, they are capable of sophisticated cooperation, they use tools, they recognise themselves in mirrors, uh, they're capable of altruism and perhaps most importantly, humour. Do you have any examples of chimps displaying humour that you'd like to share with us? Well, I'll actually give you an example from a gorilla because chimps do have a sense of humour, but this gorilla showed it so very clearly and chimps and gorillas are pretty closely related both great apes, like us, by the way. Anyway, this was a, gr a gorilla born in captivity, taught sign language because the great apes can learn sign language. And there was a new person who was coming to, to uh, work with Coco. And she was told, just keep Coco amused while we make her supper. So the young woman is, uh, Coco's just learned all the different colors. So she's picking up objects on the table. What color is this? She signs and Coco signs back green. Yes, yellow and yes, gold. Then she picks up a white cloth. 
what color is this? She signs. Coco signs red. And the woman says, oh, Coco, you're teasing. What color is this? You know what color this is. Red. So the woman says, if you don't tell me what color this is, you won't get apple juice for supper. So Coco reaches out. She takes the white cloth. She picks off a tiny piece of red fluff and says, red, red, red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah. Well, it's such an honour to have you on the podcast, Jane. And um, it's also quite a challenge in, in a short podcast introduction, I think, to really do justice to the breadth and significance of your life and career. And But I wonder if I might make a comparison between yourself and Charles Darwin um, in terms of both of your contributions to bridging the chasm or blurring the line between humans and animals. To me, it was Charles Darwin. And then about 100 years later, it was Jane Goodall. But I'd like to know, what, what do you think? Do you think that that's um, a useful or helpful way of understanding your contribution? Well, uh, I would not be so, you know, full of myself to suggest that, but a number of other people have. So I think you're right in line with, with thinking of, of many people. Yeah, great. So let's get into the first of your alien places. Well, you see, what I would like you to see, Alien, is how this world should be and how it was. So I would like to take you to one of those areas of pristine rainforest with all its rich biodiversity, because it's so beautiful. It's like a complex tapestry. And, you know, the sad thing is that as species disappear, it's like pulling threads from that tapestry until it hangs in tatters. And, but I can't just leave it at the, at the rainforest. I'd want to take you also down into the ocean to see that vibrant place down there. Oh, hooray! Yeah, there's still some parts of the ocean that are virtually untouched, where the coral reef hasn't bleached and because of climate change. So those, those two places would give you an idea of what the world should be like. Yeah, that sounds very good. Uh, so the first place then, the forest place, the rainforest place, uh, I understand that you spent a lot of time in Tanzania, in Gombe. Uh, can you tell me a bit more about um, what I would expect to see in Gombe now? Because I understand it's a bit different now to when you were there in 1960. Well, deep inside the forest, it's not really that different at all. It's just that at one time, Gombe was part of the whole forest that stretched right across Africa. We called it the Equatorial Forest Belt. And by the late 80s, that was in 1960 and 1970, but by the late 80s, a Gombe looking down from above was just a little island of forest. All around were bare hills, more people living there than the land could support. And that's due to human populations growing. And you know, Alien, right now, there's... I'm told 7.8 billion of us on the planet. And already we're using up our finite natural resources faster than nature can replenish them. That's, a, that's a lot of humans. It's a lot of humans, but by 2050, which isn't very far away, they estimate closer to 10 billion. So if we carry on with this crazy idea that the annual growth of GDP is more important than protecting the environment for the future, I don't know what will happen. 
It, it is a bit silly to use GDP. I mean, uh, on my planet, we use a well-being indicator instead of money. It's a lot more sensible. A lot more sensible. And I think this pandemic, which is still raging all this time later, is really like a wake-up call. Plus, you know, the effects of climate change that were really, to start with anyway, felt by poor people in developing countries far away. Now, these effects are being seen everywhere. So look at the recent flooding in New York. Look at the huge out-of-control wildfires, that one in Siberia that people aren't even bothering to try and put out. It's too huge. They can't get to it. And so, you know, as people in the developed world get impacted by climate change, hurricanes and so on, then hopefully the governments at this G, at this um, summit in Glasgow will really not just talk about what they're going to do, but actually do it. Yeah. So, so can you tell us a bit more about your role as COP26 advocate? Well, you know, they want, they want my voice around. They want me talking. Uh, I've recorded a lot of messages. Um, I've already given a talk to the environmental ministers of the G7 countries. So it's that sort of thing. They seem to feel that people listen to my voice. And so I do what I can. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And um, can you take us back to your time at Gombe and uh, tell us more about uh, the process by which you made friends with a chimp that you called David Greybeard? Well, when I first got to Gombe, I'd never been to college. I didn't know what to expect, but I did expect that given time, the chimpanzees would come to trust me, just as the animals around my home here in Bournemouth came to trust me when I was a child. But to my dismay, Chimpanzees are very conservative. They'd never seen a white ape before, and they would take one look and vanish into the forest. And I was getting more and more concerned. Money for six months, if it ran out before I'd seen something really exciting, there'd be no more money. And Lewis Leakey, who stuck his neck out sending this young girl um, out into the forest, you know, I would be letting him down. So fortunately, one of them, Beloved David Greybeard was the first one to lose his fear. And I never tried to get too close too quickly. I just sat there wearing the same colored clothes every day. And, you know, gradually he let me come closer. And eventually he allowed me to follow him through the forest. And it was him that really helped me to, to help the others to lose their fear of me because they, I'd come to a group where David was. And instead of running off as usual, they sat and looked at David, who was sitting calmly. And I suppose they decided, well, she can't be so frightening after all. So gradually I got to know them all, all their different personalities. And those were the best days of my whole life. Yeah, and uh, it's, um, it, it's such a great contribution that you've made towards bridging that gap, as I say, between, between humans and animals. Yeah, and because it that. was thought that... We, you know, they used to think only humans could make and use tools. Chimps proved otherwise. And I was taught when I finally got to Cambridge that the difference between us and all other animals was one of kind, in spite of Darwin. And, you know, I knew from my dog that I had as a child, Rusty, that that wasn't true. And, of course, chimpanzees are so like us biologically, as well as behavior, kissing, embracing, holding hands, 
showing emotions like happiness, sadness, fear, and despair, um, grieving. Well, finally, after Hugo, my first husband, arrived and took film, the scientists gradually had to change the way they thought about that, you know, that we're not the only beings on the planet, personality, mind, and emotion. Yeah, the more that science has progressed, the more we've we've taken down each and every barrier as we as we progress, the barriers get taken down, don't they, between humans and animals, and, and they, that line becomes more more blurred and more fuzzy with uh, with every year that passes. Yeah, and by the way, the latest big buzz in the scientific world is the extraordinary intelligence of octopuses. And mm. octopuses don't have a brain like us. They have brains in each one of their eight arms, as well as one central brain, but the arms' brains can work separately. And many people have said, this must be more like an alien from another planet than any other thing we've studied. It's funny you say that, uh, Dame Dr. Jane Goodall, DBE, because uh, I actually have uh, a brain in my hand here as well. I have uh, three brains, one in my head and one in each hand. Uh, so, yes, I am a bit like your octopuses. That, that's right. Well done. But they've got an awful lot more brains than you. Uh, yes, it sounds like they do. I, I better study these octopuses uh, before they go extinct on your planet. Yeah, you better. You better. Yep. Yep. So that's a nice transition into the second place, uh, the second of your alien places, which is the ocean. Can you tell us more about uh, what you would show the alien underwater in the ocean? Well, what I'd show the alien, what I'd show you is I'd take you to an untouched coral reef and the spectacular colours and the different life forms, strange, extraordinary life forms. And it's just so beautiful. Yes, uh, uh, if we take Atoll, uh, he would need scuba diving equipment because he can't breathe underwater. Uh, can you breathe underwater, Dame Dr. Jane Goodall, DBA? No, I've, I've never done any. I've done snorkeling where you have a little tube coming up to the top, but I've never dived down deep to the... But, you know, even just snorkeling, you still see this amazing life in the coral reefs. Yes, that sounds like a, a lot of fun, yes. Uh, now, uh, I hear, talking about octopuses, I hear that they can make their own home as well. They carry around shells and uh, they sort of hide in them. That's exactly right. They can go to a place where it's good fishing, but no rocks and they've got soft bodies. So they need rocks and they carry two half coconut shells under two of their arms on each side. And they walk along on the other two arms each side. It's very funny to watch and, or that maybe clamshells, something like that. They get to where they want to go. They put down one half. They kind of ooze into it. They've got very soft bodies, so they can go into tiny spaces. And then they reach out and put the other one over the top. And then eyes look out. And a poor fish that swims by hasn't got a chance. <laughs> and they sound very clever, these octopuses. They are very clever. And uh, talking of your role as COP26 advocate, coral reefs are, of course, one of the most sensitive ecosystems to climate change. So um, I wonder if you would show the alien a healthy reef, but also an unhealthy reef as well. Well, the unhealthy reef is just bleached coral, the colour gone, and the dying corals scattered over the seabed, and nothing's living there anymore. And the same with the forest. When the forest is destroyed, 
cut down to make for, for timber or to make space to graze cattle and so on. It's just barren and soon turns into a more or less like a desert. Once once the trees have gone, the soil isn't that isn't it's not deep. I find it interesting, uh, Dame Dr. Jane Goodall, DBE, that uh, humans have all these warnings that you're overheating your planet, but uh, there doesn't seem to be enough governmental action to actually source it and stop it. Well, the great thing, I mean, what I'd also like you to see, Alien, is the number of projects and people doing amazing things to restore the mess that we've made. Not enough, but it just shows what can and must be done. And uh, there's, there's one place where they were quarrying for cement near the coast in Kenya. And it left this huge scar with, with just nothing there, basically just a desert and right down near the salty rock bottom. And the man who ran this cement company, it was him, and this is ages ago in the 70s, before it became the thing for a company to try and show it was green. And he hired a, an amazing horticulturist who studied nature. And that huge area now is a national park. And it's got all the animals there. And they've even managed to introduce things like hippos. Oh, right. Yeah. It's amazing. And this sort of thing is happening all over the world. And, you know, there are people who just have these brilliant ideas of how to restore a place that we've damaged. That's great. And that's really important to remember that there are lots of great people out there, lots of great organisations making a really positive impact in the world. So, yeah, that, that, that's great. Uh, uh, Dame Dr Jane Goodall, DBE, uh, can you tell me a bit more about your youth programme, Roots and Shoots? Well, the Roots and Shoots is a programme that's now in 65 plus countries. Uh, we have groups that we keep discovering in outlandish places that we've never heard of. We discovered one just yesterday in the rainforest in Ecuador. <laughs> oh, how right. Yeah. So anyway, um, the young people, kindergarten, university, everything in between. And we're now actually working in some prisons, in some retirement homes. And the staff of big corporations, three of them so far, want to form Roots and Toots groups. So it's spreading, but basically it's for young people. And the main message is every individual matters and makes a difference every day. And every group between them chooses three projects, one to help people, one to help animals, one to help the environment. Because I learned in the rainforest that everything is interconnected. Yeah, that's great. And if I understand it correctly, the way that Roots and Shoots is set up is that people can start their own group without even needing to contact a central office. They can go onto the website and download the materials and the guidance that's on the website and start their own group whenever they want. Absolutely. But we like them to let us know because then we can share their ideas and it's more fun that way. They feel that they're then part of this global family and they're learning that much more important than the color of your skin or your culture or your language is the fact we're all human beings. We all cry, we all laugh, and we all bleed when we hurt ourselves. So we're one family. An alien, my dear, um, you could form a group of roots and shoots. I don't know if you have any friends. Do you communicate telepathically with other aliens? 
Uh, yes, I communicate telepathically uh, with uh, with the other two billion aliens on my own planet. Um, that's the uh, number of people that we thought was best to manage the environment there. So, uh, yes, I, I'm communicating with two billion other aliens. Yes. And we will uh, look into setting up our own roots and shoots on my planet, which is uh, several trillion kilometers away. But nevertheless, uh, you may well get a roots and shoots uh, group set up there as well. Well, that would be brilliant. And you must then communicate from them telepathically to me so I can share what they're doing on your planet. Uh, yes. Uh, do you have any examples you'd like to share of uh, something that a Roots and Shoots group has done? Well, oh golly, there's so many. They do a lot of tree planting to restore forests or woodlands. They grow a lot of organic food in their, their school gardens or at home. Um, they raise awareness about why we shouldn't buy some of the things we buy that we shouldn't waste. They sometimes take the food they've grown and give it to old people stuck at home. They do a lot of helping. They raise money to help refugees or to help people who've been through a, a hurricane. It's like in, in the US right now, they're raising money to help the people who've been devastated by Hurricane Ida. Oh, very good. That's very good to help each other, uh, uh, peoples and the environment and animals. Yeah, they, they volunteer in shelters for stray dogs and cats and, you know, all sorts of things like that. Uh, now, uh, before we finish, uh, Dame Dr. Jane Goodall, DBE, uh, Atoll here tells me that you have chimp friends called Mr. H and Jubilee. Now, are they real chimps or puppet chimps? <laughs> you mustn't ever have a real chimp. It's one of the worst things you can do. And Mr. H, who's always with me, is not a chimp. Why is he not a chimp? Do you know, Alien? Oh, uh, because he's got a tail. I can see his tail there. That's right. He's a monkey. But he was given to me by one of these people with an indomitable spirit who went blind when he was 21, was... Uh, decided for some reason to become a magician, was told it was impossible if you're blind. Children don't know he's blind. And afterwards, he'll say something might go wrong in your life. But if it does, don't give up. There's always a way forward. And he does skydiving, cross-country skiing. He's been down uh, amongst the sharks. And he's taught himself to paint. So Mr. H goes with me to remind me of the indomitable human spirit that tackles seemingly impossible projects and succeeds. Jubilee was given to me, uh, He's this one's 28 years old now. Jubilee I was given when I was 18 months old, so a long, long time ago. And he's in an exhibition in America called, I think it's called Becoming Jane or something. Anyway, it was, it was done by the National Geographic and apparently it's magical, but when I was due to see it, the pandemic, stopped all that happening but he's still he's just moved from Washington where the exhibit was first to Chicago and then hopefully I'll get to see it when it moves to Los Angeles I don't know yeah yeah brilliant I mean that's such an inspiring story Jane about Mr H there and the person behind it and the person that went blind but still yeah. had all these ambitions and fulfilled them and um, I think it just goes to show one of the many contributions that you make with some of your stories, Jane. And for me, that one's about determination, about not giving up, about, I think I've heard you use the word obstinate before. And uh, I think some of that comes through in your, in your own story, in your own character and the 
determination that you showed in your um, early days in, in Gombe and uh, taking on the scientific establishment and giving animals names rather than reference numbers. And I think that all kind of really ties into that kind of determination that you show. Yes, and fighting to get money when, when one project ended or to keep it going rather, and fighting to get money for our program to lift people out of poverty living around forest areas. Because if you're really poor, you're going to cut the trees down to grow some more food or, or to sell for charcoal or something. So alleviating poverty is something that we really have to do. And you know, Alien, if I were to take you to one of the slums in India or Bangladesh, you'd be shocked at such intelligent people with such intellectual power can allow people to live like that or a Native American reservation in America. Uh, shocking. You'd be shocked. It sounds very shocking. I mean, on my planet, we noticed a bit of a problem with poverty and then uh, the leaders got together and solved it in about 20 minutes. So I don't really know why humans take so long to solve these uh, problems that they, they say that they will take a long time to solve, but they don't have to. They can just uh, make the right laws and rules. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, human beings are not all the same. And some of them only care about making money and gaining power. And they want to carry on with business as usual. They don't want change. They like to have people who are so poor that they can work for practically nothing to make cheap goods. That's why we have to stop buying the goods so that the companies will have to pay more money to their workers. Sometimes I think that the, the helpful aspects of having an alien here is that um, would we advise, if, if the alien was asking us for advice about how to manage things on this planet, would we advise an alien to make sure that there's lots of poverty? Of course we wouldn't. So, so it's not just about hearing from the alien. It's about if we think about ourselves, what would we advise an alien? We wouldn't advise an alien to carry on with global warming. We wouldn't advise the alien to make sure that there's plenty of poverty so that people will be happy with low wages. So it's uh, another sort of dimension to, to thinking from, from an alien perspective or, or dealing with an alien. We wouldn't advise the alien to copy us. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe it's visiting aliens who are secretly advising those of us who care about the steps to take. That's absolutely right, uh, Jane. I am helping humans uh, with uh, little podcasts like this and also uh, talking to children and adults as well and uh, giving them little bits of advice that I hope will help. Yeah. And you tell them all to join Roots and Shoots, right? I will do, yes. I will tell them to join Roots and Shoots and uh, let you know where they've set it up because uh, you don't want to have hundreds of Roots and Shoots all over the world and you don't even know about them. So I will ask them to let you know as well. Yeah, that's brilliant. We always end Alien Places podcast episodes with uh, the alien actions section. So do you have a positive environmental action that you do or that you recommend people do that you think the alien would be doing already on its sustainably managed planet? Well, one important thing is moving to a plant-based diet because our factory farms, A, are horribly cruel, B, damaging to the environment because huge areas are cleared to grow the grain to feed them, all these animals make methane in their digestion and they're hugely adding to climate change as well as being horribly inhumane, cruel. And you know why we say inhumane? 
I don't know because humanity can be very cruel. So moving towards a, a vegan diet, yeah, excellent. And uh, uh, finally, uh, how do chimpanzees usually say goodbye? They don't, they just walk away. Oh, well, the, uh, it looks like the aliens just uh, walked off there without saying anything. So um, it just remains for me to thank you, Jane Goodall, for sharing with us your alien places. Just joking. Uh, uh, thank you, Dr. Jane Goodall, for sharing with us your alien places. Yes, and you can say goodbye and I can say goodbye. Chimps don't. But then we're not chimps, so we don't have to behave like them. OK, I won't walk off next time then. Uh, so uh, thank you very much, Dame Dr. Jane Goodall, DBE. Bye. Bye. <laughs> bye bye. Alien. Asshole. What an amazing conversation we had there with the legendary Jane Goodall. Yes, I have a lot in common with them, Dr. Jane Goodall, DBE, you know, asshole. Oh, why is that, Alien? Well, before I left my home planet, uh, just like Jane had to help scientists understand that chimpanzees have feelings and humour, I also had to convince some scientists on my planet that humans have sentience, feelings and humour. Some were quite sceptical, you know, asshole. Oh, wow, right. Why do they think humans are without feelings and humour? Well, on my planet, we find the use of acronyms funny. But they saw television broadcasts of humans using acronyms without laughing. So therefore, they assumed humans have no humour and are also not sentient. So you find acronyms funny? Uh, what, like NASA, ASAP, IMAX, AWOL, JPEG, FOMO, <laughs> LOL? <laughs> okay, okay. So anyway, Alien. How did you change the minds of those scientists? Uh, I showed them silly human television broadcasts such as Monty Python and The Big Bang Theory, and they were slowly convinced that humans do have feelings, humour, and other emotional capabilities. It was a groundbreaking study at all. And, much like Dame Dr. Jane Goodall DBE study, it led to the acceptance that humans are also capable of cooperation, altruism, and other things that make humans worth conserving. Well, I'm glad that both Jane's work and your work, Alien, have helped people throughout the multiverse to stop underestimating other beings, and generally give all of life a bit more credit. So, on that note, that's it for this episode. Yes, uh, thank you, sentient listeners, for listening. Bye!